0: This is working the beat. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us June seventeenth or June eighteenth, depending on when you're hearing this. Twenty twenty is our recording date. And it's a big show for us. Uh we have had a lot of great guests, but this one is literally when I use the term Philadelphia icon, he is an icon in this city. Um you know, he has been the main anchor on the number one newscast in the city for 43 years. He has become literally one of the the soundtrack of what the city of Philadelphia has been like in that time, all the way from the bicentennial to now. And uh, so Jim Gardner from Action News, who is a big sports fan, as we all have seen him in our travels, either at Citizens Bank Park or the Palestra or uh, Lea chorus Center. Um, we uh, we will talk to Jim about that. We'll talk about the news business. Action News is celebrating its 50th anniversary on Thursday night. Uh, so we will um, kind of reminisce with him. Uh, obviously, the names Jim O'Brien and Gary Papa, I'm sure, are to come up. Um, as well, they so, should. So Jim Gardner will join us. And we will discuss his career and his love of sports uh, on this edition of Working the Beat. Uh, this is our second show for the week. Normally, we're Tuesday, Thursday. This week, we did it Tuesday, Wednesday to accommodate some schedules. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there. Uh, Father's Day is this weekend. First day of summer is on Sunday. Uh, and still no baseball in sight. Um In fact, there was an alarming report, and Mike and I will talk about it, on the back end of all this um, from Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, last night in L.A. Times, which basically said, uh, Major League Baseball, if you want to get done, you better get done by the the end of September, um, which would pretty much, I think, crush the rest of the season. I I don't think, unless you're going to do something what Chris Carlin said on our last show, which is maybe ignore giving out a full season and just play like some World Cup kind of tournament. And that maybe is the way to go at this point. But uh, not looking good for baseball right now. But when we come back uh, here on Work of the Beat, it will be Jim Gardner to talk action news, to talk sports, to talk about the state of the world at this point. That's next as Work of the Beat continues right after these messages looking to reach the sports fans of philadelphia in a brand new way this is kevin cooney each week the work of the beat podcast with mike Kern and i brings the hottest topics into this sports craze town with the people and the events that shape the landscape now your business could connect with those people by advertising on the work of the beat podcast Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Working the Beat podcast family. Well, it is an honor for this podcast to add this man on. On June 1st, 1976, one month shy of the Bicentennial celebration, our guest joined Action News as a reporter and anchor of the Noon News after two years in Buffalo. Less than a year later, he ascended to the the anchor chair for the 6 and 11 o'clock broadcast job he's held for the last 43 years. Action News will have a special Thursday night celebrating the 50th anniversary of Action News. And we are pleased to be joined by a Philadelphia icon and a major sports fan, I know, Jim Gardner. Jim, how are you?
1: Kevin, hi, how are you? Nice to, uh, nice to see you.
0: Nice to see and you. you.
2: And you survived Buffalo, which should get you like a murder badge just in itself. Hey, Mike, the fact is that I was there in 74 and
1: 75. The Buffalo Braves were in the playoffs, the Bills that's were right. in the playoffs. The Sabres, you know, were, were, were with Gilles Perrault and, and uh, I, I mean, it was a great time for Buffalo sports. Yeah.
2: You got to forget. Buffalo; they, they they beat the Sixers in a three game playoff. Correct. I, I was at game three at, at here. I think it was right. And they Bob McAdoo and Ernie yeah. D. Yep. Yeah. You and,
1: got... and a classmate of mine from college, Jimmy McMillan was yes. on that Buffalo Braves team. And, uh, you know, I, I must've seen 20, 25 games a year at the yard because, Jimmy Mack was, uh, you know, he was special to me. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he had come from the Lakers and then he was in Buffalo, finished his career with the uh, with the Knicks. But he was a great, great guy, great ball player.
2: So he was on that great Lakers team, right? He was. The, the, the one that won the 33 or whatever the heck it was with Wilt. and uh, yeah. Yeah, Goodrich. I mean, he, yeah, he's one of the best players ever to come out of the Ivy
0: League. You without see, question. My only experience with Buffalo is I went with Kern to cover the NCAA <laughs> tournament back in 2017 and there was 26 inches of snow on the ground so in mid-March. We ate, we ate, we ate well though, Kevin. That's true, we did. We eat did. Eat well. Uh, Jim, but
1: you go to the anchor you go to the anchor bar for some wings? I what? did.
0: I did. Mike we did. We went
2: it. to some really good Italian place. Chefs. Um Chefs.
0: Yes. yes. We went to Chefs. <laughs> we went to Dinosaur Barbecue. Which is downtown near the uh, near the new arena and and all that. It was it was actually it's a really cool town. It just snowed a lot. So
1: I was only there for two years and uh, but it made it quite an impression.
0: (laughs) Jim, I know you're a huge baseball fan. I mean, you talked about the fact that you grew up, you know, in an email we had. You were a Mickey Mantle fan, right?
1: I grew up in New York uh, and uh, my dad uh, had grown up in the shadows of Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. And, uh, uh, I was born in Manhattan. I think one of the great, um, disappointments of his life was that he had fathered a Yankee fan. Uh, And, uh, uh, so, and, and I, when I was a kid, it was at the halcyon stage of, of that Yankee group. And yeah, I idolized Mickey Mantle. There's no question about it. Um, uh, you know, every at bat, every, uh, Every swing, he was uh, an idol of mine. It, it wasn't until I was much older that I that I became familiar with the fact, you know, that he had his issues and, and his his deficits, as we all do. But uh, you know, he wasn't quite the mythological figure that uh, you know the Yankees tried to make him out to be. But you know, he was he was a, a troubled, interesting guy. But yes, when I was a kid. It was all Mickey all
0: the time. And the one thing about Mantle, and my father was a Mickey Mantle fan too, okay? And my dad grew up in Philly. So it was like he adopted the Yankees as an American League team at that point. Mantle, among all athletes, still carries this passion among people who were fans of his that I don't think any other athlete has. Like, is it because of that myth that was out there for so long? Or, or, or do you know... Yeah, you know, is it just one of those things that when you were a Mantle fan, you were a Mantle fan for life, no matter what you found out later on?
1: You know, that's an interesting question, Kevin. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't presume to know. Uh, that whole Yankee era was was mythological, and when you realize that, you know, the Yankees had this succession of outfielders, and, and Mantle was Dimaggio's successor, although you later find out in life that DiMaggio and Mantle were not two peas in the same pod, but, but, uh, there was this whole mythology about, about Yankee center fielders and, and, uh, uh, the Yankees absolutely played Mantle up to be, you know, the PR machine in the Yankees, which was very effective back in the fifties and sixties, they played Mantle up to be a baseball God. And, and here was this strapping handsome guy out of, Um, Oklahoma who hit balls farther than anyone had ever seen and uh, had enormous speed. And, you know, he had it all, but, but he was also this, this incredibly good looking um, model of a baseball player. And uh, he brought all this to where New York city and the New York Yankees. I think that really set him on a path, but we got to remember the first years of his career were filled with disappointment and and underperforming and not meeting expectations. And he had a time in New York where where he was not, you know, the great Mickey Mantle. Right. You know, people were very upset with his performance. Even though he may hit 310 and only hit 35 home runs and 90, you know, RBIs, it was less than what was expected.
2: Mike? Yeah, and in that town at the time, you had—I mean—Duke Snyder in Brooklyn, and you had Willie in—at in, least until the late '50s when they moved to California. It was, I guess, in New York that probably was the golden age, right? Oh well, it was my golden age, in New York <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: And and it was the constant argument, you know, who's the best center fielder? You know, Snyder, Mays, or Mantle? And and uh, I, you know, I guess my view is that that when all was said and done. Nobody was comparable to Willie Mays, maybe in the history of baseball. But, but uh, you know, your Dodger fans were, were, hey, it was all Duke. It was all Duke, you know, and Mantle. I will say one thing about Mickey Mantle. Uh, Yankee Stadium was 457 feet to left center field. And there's no question that Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and other great right-handed, I mean, Mantle was a switch hitter. He must have hit 150 long fly balls to left center field in Yankee Stadium that were just swallowed up by the dimensions of that ballpark. So I think he ended up with 536. Yeah. I, you know, he probably deserves 650. But Jim, you know, that's, Jim, that's, do you ever did. think?
2: Do you ever think about what Mantle might have been without the injuries? I know there was the drinking too, but the injuries really—he hurt his knee real early in his career. Fifty-one um, World he, Series. He, he, yeah, he could get the first base faster than any right-handed hitter they had ever seen. Uh, do you ever think, like, you know, the 536 could have been seven-something, even with the big left field?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's that was the story of Mantle's career. But but you say without the drinking. It's, it is reasonable to think that if Mantle had taken care of himself better than he did, that a lot of those injuries either may not have happened or he would have recovered from them more quickly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I, I think he probably, or at least I don't think anything, but one has read that he abused his body so much over the course of an 18-year career that various steps along the way he, you know, he would have been uh, a different a different guy. But um, do I still have you? Oh, there you yeah. go. But just the image of him, you know, playing in that San Francisco World Series with blood dripping down from this abscess, you know, in his, in his hip, you know, these, these, these images of, of this, of this um, you know, you don't want to use the word crippled, but, but that's what he was at many stages of his career. Um, yeah. But, you know, I remember 1957, after his great year in 1956, he was out for how many games? 40 games with what they called at the time were shin splints. Mm-hmm. Who knows if it's true, but the, but the <laughs> stories are that he's playing golf. He's, he gets so upset with a shot, throws a golf club against the tree and it rebounds right into his legs. And that was the reason <laughs> why he was out for 40 games. I don't know if that's true, but that certainly has been written on a number of occasions.
0: Jim Gardner joins us. All right, Jim, we're going to go from the Housey days of baseball to now. Um, I know you're busy with other stuff, obviously, but when you see, and I'm sure you've been following what's been going on with the, with Major League Baseball Players Association and MLB and the troubles they're having in restarting this season, how does it make you feel?
1: Well, as a fan, I just, you know, I, I well, it's, it's complicated. I'd love to see baseball. Uh, I don't know if it's realistic to stage – any, any kind of mass competitive sports in, in this pandemic environment. I don't know if it's safe or not. I have my issues about that. Having said that professional sports leagues are going ahead. So as a fan, uh, I'd love to see baseball. Um, I, I wouldn't presume to assign blame as to, uh, uh, the problems they're having. Uh, it, you know, it's, some people side with the players. Other people side with management. Uh, I'm not going to side with either. Certainly not right now. But uh, <laughs> that's a that's but, a true uh,
0: journalist right there. Just going right down the middle.
1: <laughs> but I but I'd love to see I'd love to see baseball um, as long as they can do it in a safe way. I'm I'm concerned uh, as we know a number of NFL players uh, have tested positive for COVID-19. So the question is, can this work, and uh, I guess time will tell. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Bryce Harper take a swing or two.
0: Yeah, and and Doctor Anthony <laughs> Doctor Anthony Fauci said this morning that uh, in the LA Times that like if he was advising Major League Baseball he would have everything wrapped up by the end of September. It just doesn't feel like that's a possible schedule right now to get a season going and then have a postseason.
1: I well, I didn't see what he said this morning, but I assume he's talking about. Um, wrapping everything up before um, a presumed second wave comes. And I think you're right. That's unrealistic.
2: Mike? So what what does that mean for football, Jim? I mean, football's only going to be in its fourth week then, but yet they're going full board ahead. You know, I mean, Kevin's been saying this for three months. Nothing's stopping the NFL. (laughs) You know, but a a virus can stop anything.
1: Uh, Hey, time will tell. I, You know, I am worried that – that uh, uh, we're going to see more infection, but the question is that you know what's the risk reward here? You know what 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 does America uh, what is America willing to absorb in terms of infection in exchange for professional sports? It's a complicated business. It really is. Let's let's take forget about professional football for a minute. Let's look at college football. Yes, Penn State football is is an enormous economic engine for the entire central part of the state of Pennsylvania, right? Right. You know this yep. better than Penn absolutely, England, Mike. So if we want to keep all the people involved with Penn state football, meaning players and support staff and coaches and, and, you know, trainers and, and locker room guys, if we want to lower their risk as much as possible, you don't have Penn state football. And then you lose this enormous economic engine that, that not only, pays for most of the other sports at Penn State, not only gives Penn, this Penn State community enormous satisfaction and pleasure, but economically drives the entire central part of that state for four or five months a year. It's, it's, it's a question that, that everybody is struggling with right now. And, and you know, the, the health officials are focused like a laser on health questions. Other people are focused on economic questions. And neither of them are charged with the responsibility of reconciling those two. Our political leaders are charged with reconciling those two, and um,
2: you know, different leaders have different points of view and different strategies. Um, and we're and we're going to have, be having an election in November, which is going to make it even goofier.
1: Can't disagree with that. <laughs>
0: And Jim, let me. The other moral equivalent on the Penn State example is: What do you do if you're not bringing regular students back to, to campus? Because it almost feels unfair to bring a student athlete back to campus when you're saying for the rest of the general population it's not safe to be here. If you're having remote learning for them, then why have the students who are not or the student athletes who are not getting paid? back on campus, too, to work basically for free so the campus can make an enormous amounts of money. It seems,
1: Kevin, that, that, um, that Penn State will bring students back to campus. Right. Um, it may be a hybrid model where some classes are in person, other classes are online. Um, this is just going to be one of the real treacherous issues, I think, of this whole situation, Uh, all these colleges and universities bringing student populations back to campus. Um, You know, young people, and I'm not saying this is a criticism because I, I include young people among my children. uh, (laughs) And I think, and I think they're very responsible, but you know, the, the late adolescent early adult brain does, does not have the same um, concept of risk that, that older people do. And, uh, you know, I'm concerned about not just the lack of social distancing, but, but, um, and not a lack of awareness because these kids are smart, but a feeling that, that even if they do get sick, it's not going to be overly serious. It's not going to be life threatening. They'll, they'll be sick for a week and be done with it. And so I think that frees them to, um, Act in in ways that that they're used to, and that and that you would expect young people uh, to uh, to do. You know, whether it be uh, in dorms
2: and in fraternities and parties or whatever. And I'm concerned about that. Um, it's Jim. I got to tell you, my in a non-sports but related. She works in a school. And and I work in a school now. So, yeah. you, and Kevin works in a school too. And she's so worried. Not worried. Maybe that's a bad word, but. How are they going to bring school back? And all you ever hear people say is, well, young kids don't really get sick. And I'm like, but there's adults in those schools, too. And I think right. it's going to be fascinating to see how the whole country comes back to education uh, in a manner in which kids are actually being educated, because I think it's going to be really hard to pull off. I'm
1: an old guy, but I have a uh, uh, a son at Vanderbilt, and they just found out um, two days ago what their specific plans are going to be and, and and when they're going to start. And they are all going back to campus uh, through the Thanksgiving uh, holiday or actually uh, until Thanksgiving. Then they're going online for like the last week of classes and final exams. They have taken all the double rooms on campus and made them into single rooms. And so they're definitely making, they have extensive plans for the safety of the student population and the faculty and all, but, you put 7,500 kids on a on a campus, it's hard for me to understand how they're going to be able to or, or whether they will even make an effort to be socially distanced and careful to the point where, um, where uh, you know, they're going to be safe. I saw something yesterday, Mike and Kevin, that I thought was fascinating. We're all talking about masks, wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Are they helpful? Are they not helpful? So I guess it was Sanjay Gupta on CNN. I don't know what his source was, but he was talking about a report where if you're standing six feet away from someone who's infected with COVID-19 and you're not wearing a mask, you have a 17 percent, and obviously this is some statistical model, a 17 percent chance of being infected. If you're wearing a mask, you have a 3 percent chance of being infected wow it is obviously not foolproof it's not it's not everything but it is substantial so if we wear masks it's really helpful now will college kids wear masks i don't know
0: i don't know and that and that's a that's a great point because college kids you're right they all feel a little invincible and they all feel like they can get through this and look, it's 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 infected college kids. I mean, you know, there, there was the one case of the guy in Chicago last week who was healthy at 31, 32, and they showed a picture of before and after of his lungs after what happened, and it, it's devastating. I mean, this guy was on a ventilator. Is this the most challenging story? I mean, you've been in the anchor chair a long time. Is this the most challenging, this stretch, and include the George Floyd protests too, Of your career right now?
1: I think so. Um, Obviously, you compare it to 9-11 and its immediate aftermath. Um, That really changed this country and changed the world in such profound ways. But in terms of a sustained story that that, um, defines our newscast on a daily basis, and you just said it. Uh, combined with what may be a real uh, inflection point in this country in the way it, it uh, uh, deals with race, perceives race, um, perceives uh, racial injustice, and how we can uh, address that finally. Um, yes, I think this is a moment um, when uh, it is not just a challenging story, but um, a story that really consumes... Uh, an enormous amount of, of effort and energy, and I mean that in a good way. Um, yes, it's been an extraordinary time journalistically over the last uh, four four months
0: and, Mike, months. and Mike, I want to ask a follow on this before I give it back to you. Yeah. The idea that you have to do this now in a different way than you normally are doing it, with reporters not coming in necessarily to City Ave., um, you know, your weather anchor could be at home. Obviously, I know Cecily's there. You haven't seen Deuces, I know, in ages. Um, I, I joked with him that that's I, not necessarily
1: a bad thing, buddy. Oh.
0: <laughs> I joke with him. I almost pictured it's like Home Alone for you when you walk in and it's like, where's everybody gone? Um, how how much how much does that add to the to the level of challenge for a, a news organization at this time that you're having to do things you've never done before? in a manner you've never done it.
1: That's true. I I, I really want to uh, uh, compliment our management for the way they have handled this situation. Um, I bet, and I don't know the specific numbers, but I would think uh, 80%, 85% of our staff does not come into the building. And, and i'm not sure that we have and i, I don't i don't mean this um, uh, you know in a self-aggrandizing way it's just the fact i don't know that it has compromised our ability to tell any story our reporters and photographers have been extraordinary in their flexibility and uh, in what in what they have been able to accomplish in a in a in a difficult situation i'm not sure how much it has um affected my specific routine on a daily basis, other than um, in in 44 years at Channel 6, I've never worked in an office. Uh, it's always been in the middle of the newsroom. That's Our anchors don't sequester themselves in offices the way you find at a lot of television stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last several months, I have been in an office just to give me uh, some uh, separation more than six feet. I'm 72 years old and so I think it, it's that, that, that our that our leaders felt that it was not um, uh, uh, that it was a reasonable idea to, to separate me like that um, so that's been a little weird because I do like you know the give and take on a on a constant basis that, that I've lost over the last several months but that's that's insignificant um, it's a very different environment Um, and I think we have responded to that in extraordinary fashion. And I I really do want to compliment the people who are charged with trying to figure out how all of this works, which is uh, our general manager, Bernie Prasenica and our our news director, uh, Tom Davis. It has been a huge challenge for them. For instance, uh, during the middle of the afternoon, when there would typically be what eighty people in our newsroom in mm-hmm. the central part of our newsroom. They're now maybe fourteen. It's it's just a different
0: and, and that and that's the basic people. That's videotape editors. That's your 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 studio crew. That's absolutely
1: absolutely we have videotape editors and of course with our with our uh, platforms now and our and our apps and, and the technology they can edit from home right and then send it to the server at channel 6 so we have editors working from home we have producers working from home we have writers working from home we have it's it's extraordinary yeah. and of course our our reporters and their photographers never come into the television station yeah. they go directly to stories they they shoot they write they edit in the field and
2: then they go back home mike yeah. jim with everything that's happened since the George George Floyd death and is probably going to keep happening for a while, I was watching a show last night, on, on actually on ABC, about looking back at L.A. from 82 to 92 and everything in the, racially there that kind of led up to the, the, the riots. Do you think if we're sitting here 10, 20 years from now that there will be change that we haven't seen change before because this feels different? Um, or are we still going to have the same problems or much of the same problems down the road? Like now we're really focused on it. I'm just wondering, this doesn't feel like it's going to go away, but in the past we've said that and it's gone away.
0: And I should point out, Jim covered the Columbia riots in 68, correct? When you were at Columbia University, correct?
1: Yes. That, yes wow. I did. Yeah. Um, Mike, this does feel different. You know, I, I mean,. I don't think any of us can responsibly make uh, conclusions about what's what's going to happen in the future but this does feel different and I think it's impressive that that police agencies and universities and companies all within a matter of weeks are changing some of their policies to uh, accommodate what seems to be a tsunami of of um, of acknowledgement and recognition that things in this country are, are, are not the way they're supposed to be. It, but mm-hmm. it is a challenge. I, I think, I mean, slavery uh, is is, is the, the original sin of this country, and it is uh, a seed of DNA, you know, in, in the United States. It's horrible to think that, but but I think it's true. And institutional racism and microaggressions, which happen all the time, even even by people who would consider themselves to be enlightened and, and sensitive. Um, but I do, Mike. I I think we all feel like it's different. And does that mean it's going to be the beginning of a solution? I I don't know. It you know I think it's far too early to. To to make that conclusion Look, there have been so many advances in this country We had a black president of the United States We have, you know, civil rights legislation in 64 and 65 Which changed so many things We had a board, um, um, you know, we had uh, school desegregation All of these things Have they had a lasting, fundamental uh, imprint on this country? Yes and no um I am so hopeful that the United States of America has gotten to a point where we where everyone has to take this seriously and profoundly seriously. But I think we're gonna need five, ten, fifteen, twenty years to be able to look back on it and say, So what happened here?
0: Jim Gardner yeah. Jim Gardner joining us. Jim, you've covered every every year, every presidential year. You've covered a convention since 1980. There's going to be one in Jacksonville or Charlotte, depending on how it's split with the Republicans. And there's presumably going to be something in Milwaukee for the Democrats. Will you be there?
1: Uh, I'm supposed to go to the uh, Democratic convention. I don't know that they're going to have a- an event to speak of. Right. I mean, everything we're hearing out of the Democrats is that it's going to be largely virtual, but we have to wait and see. Um, I will not go, uh, to the Republican event, uh, in Jacksonville. It looks like that's where, you know, we're going to have the show. Right. I just think that it's, um, that it's, uh, not safe enough for me to do that. Um, I don't, I, I, I think, and I'm really not, you know, being partisan here, right. But I think I think what's going to happen in Tulsa on Friday with this enormous Saturday,
0: uh, Trump, Trump. I'm sorry. Saturday now. You got Saturday. Right.
1: Correct. I'm sorry. But no, that's correct. Okay. They got they uh, moved it from uh, Juneteenth. Right. right. Saturday. Um, I look at that and I ask myself, what are they thinking? Well, I think what they're thinking is that it's a show of, uh, hey, this country's ready to, uh, you know, to return to its uh, you know its normal uh, image of itself, and let's go. And, and I, I get that, and I and I think that President Trump adores uh, the 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 process of, uh, of of these rallies, and I think they uh, are a lifeblood for him. Right. But I I look at the situation and I ask myself, or I say to myself, I hope this will not result in some large number of people getting sick of dying of bringing an infection back to their mm-hmm. homes, their communities. I hope that doesn't happen, but there are a lot of public health officials who are looking at this and saying, this is
0: crazy. I want to, uh, I want to turn this a little happier. Okay. Cause <laughs> and it's tough to do it. I understand. You've been at one station for 44 years. Um, That's
1: only because nobody else would give me a job. You do understand.
0: <laughs> Did you ever have a shot to leave?
1: <laughs> uh, early on, early, early on, um, you know, I was I was, uh, I was uh, asked to consider. Um, I was contacted to consider a job in Chicago, a job in New York. Um, I'm talking about 40 years ago. And uh, not for a second that I consider either opportunity.
2: What kept you? You didn't here? want to go back to New York?
1: Not a, not on a bet.
2: Wow. Okay. <laughs> what kept I, you here? Interesting.
1: I love Philadelphia. What? I loved it I, as soon as I got here. I loved it here. Um, I just I love everything about it. Second night I was here, Kevin. Second night I was here. I took myself down to the vet, bought a ticket. I sat in. Uh, uh, I guess the 300 level right field watched Richie Allen, or I guess it was Dick Allen at that point. Right, hit this massive home run to left center field, and it was like, "All right, I'm here. I'm you know, I'm I'm a Philadelphia," and that was it. I, I, I just loved loved Philadelphia.
0: So a among- right,
2: and right after he, right after you got there, all the teams got good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like four right. years
2: later, they were all in the finals.
1: My timing was terrific.
0: <laughs> what I mean, you've had, you've been able to be a part of in a way, you know, the O A parade. I know I saw you at Citizens Bank Park that day with Gary in, in the third base dugout. You covered the, the the parade in seventeen or eighteen, I guess it was, when the Eagles won. There was the Sixer parade in eighty three, a couple of Villanova parades. What stood out among all those experiences with you? Hmm. I mean, is there one singular memory you have of those type of moments?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, I guess the... I mean, when the Phillies won in 08... I mean, everybody... I I think if you ask most people about that, they would talk about, you know, the Super Bowl, um, and, and obviously that was an extraordinary time, although it seemed like it was a little unreal. I mean, here we have... A, a backup quarterback leading the Eagles through these playoffs, and and they keep winning, and they go to the Super Bowl, and he beats Brady. It just seems so bizarre, almost obviously, you know, euphoric. But those those that Phillies team, um, you know, just just a great great fun season, and uh, I remember the parade, but for personal reasons, uh, I know how pained. Gary was that day. Um, he was in tremendous pain, and and they had us situated uh, in the third base dugout, or just on, just outside the third base dugout. And during the times when we weren't on the air, uh, we would go into the dugout, we would sit down, whatever, and to watch Gary try to climb the steps of those dugout of that dugout, and then hop on the stool that we were on for the actual broadcast he was uh he was in serious shape, he was in terrible shape, mm-hmm. and then as soon as someone gave us the cue to start talking, it was like flicking a switch he was
0: mm-hmm.
1: He was brilliant, you know he was courageous, it was extraordinary. So much of my experience with that whole when someone says Philly's World Series, it's hard for me not to think of of Gary um, yeah.
0: Uh, and you, I mean, you know, I we get to see Gary. We got to see Gary a lot at games, and I remember seeing Gary, and and uh, I think he was in the Eagle press box, and and Gary was fighting it. I mean, Gary was really fighting it, but it was, it was almost inspiring to see how much he was fighting it because it was such an uphill battle, uh, and we all knew it. But he was he was content, or he was determined he was going to make it work, and that's what I think was special about him. So.
1: He um, he was a different kind of guy. There's yeah. no question. He uh, he wore his emotions not just on his sleeve, but all over, yeah. <laughs> on both sleeves, on his collar, on his <laughs> chest. And uh, and he he knew how to light up a room. He made everybody else feel feel better about about whatever they were doing and feel better about themselves. Uh, he was uh, a different a different kind of person whom, whom i've ever known and it was you know working with him and and dave roberts was uh you know an experience i i have i am blessed to work with deuces and cecily it has just been uh a great great experience for me I, um but not but there is no, no but uh working with gary papa and dave roberts who became very dear friends was uh I was blessed
0: to have that opportunity. I know Mike wants to ask about another person that you worked with.
2: Yeah, I I almost, I I almost feel bad, but to my generation and I'm, I'm, you know, Jim O'Brien was one of the great people. And I remember that day when, when it happened, you know, and I'm watching the TV and I'm, I'm crying. Um, What was Jim like to people? It's been 40 years to people who never got to meet him. He seemed like he was one of the great people that walked the face of the earth. Well, first of all, he was without question, the most, uh,
1: talented communicator that, that I have ever met. Um, and, and I think if you ask people who, who, uh, watched him, they would tell you that there's no question that he was speaking to each one of them individually. He was brilliant, truly brilliant. He, uh, was as intense or even more so off the air than he was on the air. Uh, I'll be truthful with you uh, to say that he could be volcanic because he wanted <laughs> things the way he thought they should be. And it was part of his uh, his brilliance and part of his talent because he was uh, most often right. Yep.
0: My One of my favorite things about you, Jim, and this is what has happened in the last couple of years because of YouTube. Some of your lighter moments have come out, trying to announce the band names on Kimmel, uh, picking up Cecily's <laughs> earring on the floor, telling her she's out of time, making you know having fun with Jamie or Deuces. Is this comfort at your age and, and your experience? what the heck you got to have some fun with this as well because everything can be so serious in your job.
1: You know, we we've all known each other for such a long time that I think we have a certain kind of comfort with each other. We have complete trust in each other and you know, we're all human beings. And so we look for opportunities for, for a laugh and, and, and to kind of delight in each other's, uh, pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I, I you know, I've always said that we take our work incredibly seriously. Mm-hmm. We don't take ourselves as seriously, and I think that's one of the things that makes us successful. Um, we we kind of leave those those anchor egos, uh, <laughs> you know, out the door. Uh, that doesn't work at Channel Six, um, so we do enjoy not making. Fun of each other, although that happens. Yeah. But making fun of our, making fun of ourselves, and and I think that that is one of uh, one of the reasons why we've been able to keep things in perspective. It is the work that is serious, uh, and we want to be respectful of the work and respectful of, respectful of the audience. But we try not to take ourselves that serious.
2: Yeah, because if you didn't like coming
0: to work every day, why do it? Right. And, and which leads to the last question, which, go ahead, Jim, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no. That I mean, that's true. I mean, we, we come to work every day. We, you know, we, we, are, our purpose is to do the best job we can telling the news, connecting with our audience and being respectful of um, the work and the audience. People say, well, what makes you guys so successful over such a long period of time? And I have never been able to answer that question. I don't know. All I know is that we try to do the best job we can, and we happen to have incredibly smart and talented people um, uh, from on the air, off the air. We've got a whole new generation of reporters networking at Channel 6, people like Shari Williams and Maggie Kent. And I, I hate using names because... Right. Because whenever you do, I'll, you know, you, you, leave, you leave more people out than, than you I'll name one
0: because I used to work with her, Trish Hartman, who's your New Jersey correspondent.
1: Absolutely. These are such smart people who bring relative youth and mm-hmm. energy and enthusiasm to, to their work. It has um, sort of catapulted us into a whole new era at Action News, and we're better for it. I, you know, the people who have retired over the last number of years were legends. They were. They were. Uh, they were brilliant. They were superb. They told the story of of this area for generations. And uh, you know, we're lucky that people like Dan Quayar are still here. Mm-hmm. Um, but for every Dan Quayar who is still here, there's a Bob Brooks who has just come here. Mm-hmm. They. I'm glad there are people who have been around for a while because institutional memory is always a good thing. But this young generation of, of journalists, whether they be reporters, producers, videographers, um, graphic artists, they're spectacular, and 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 we are as an organization blessed to have them. And you've got to give enormous credit to. The people who do the hiring, they know what this is all about, and they've done a great, great
0: job. Jim, my last question, and I hate asking it as the last question, but you just mentioned, you know, you've seen Lisa leave. You've seen John Rawlins. There's been a number of people, you know, who have hit retirement age. You you said you're 72. How much longer do you want to keep doing this?
1: Uh, you know what? It's, it's something that I really don't think about. I mean, that may sound... Um, disingenuous uh i love the work i love um interacting with the people at work so far they have um not escorted me out the door <laughs> although, although one never knows what tomorrow will bring um so i'm 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 glad to still have the opportunity to do what i do i i'm i'm the luckiest guy um in Philadelphia for having been able to do this, uh, for a professional lifetime. And, uh, you know, I suppose at some point I won't be able to do it anymore, but that's not yet.
0: And you haven't even thought about what you would want to do. Have you like no, like big retirement plans, no trips to X or, you know, certain spots or anything.
1: I want to, I want to, uh, yes, I, I exactly what I want to do. Okay. I want to, okay. I want to be a sports writer for the Delaware County Times, and have a and and have a spot in, in the press box. Hey, hey Jim, the Phillies and the Eagles. Hey Jim, that's what I want to
0: do. Newspaper journalism, as Mike and I have both learned, it's kind of it's kind of not in the in a good way right now. You may not.
1: That's okay. I'll work for free.
0: You'll work for free. Don't don't tell them. Don't that. tell them
2: that they'll take you up on death. it. Jim, Jim, one thing you met, you know, Mickey Mantle's number one. Is there a Philadelphia athlete that, or maybe two of them, that over your forty-four years has struck a special chord with you?
1: That that is that is a a tough tough question. Uh, This may sound silly, but um, I did meet him a few times. Uh, In fact, I used to meet him at the Winwood Pharmacy. Uh, Richie Ashburn. So I saw him play a lot before I came to Philadelphia. You know, when I was first introduced to baseball back in, uh, in the fifties when, uh, you know, when he played with uh, the Phillies and then, and then when he went over to the Mets, um, and when I saw him on two or three occasions, it was, I was starstruck. It really was. Um, we're talking about, uh, the early eighties. um, but in terms of in terms of answering your question the way you intended it,
0: um, no, that was fine the way you answered. Not a, not, trust me, I, I all of us had that feeling when we met Richie too. I mean, yeah, yeah. and Richie broke your dad's heart in 1950.
1: He did indeed. <laughs> he did indeed. <laughs> uh, I should say, look, Todd McGraw worked for us at yes. Channel Six for a few years. He was uh, <laughs> he was a great deal of fun, but but he reminded me a lot of Jim O'Brien. He had enormous humor. He, he could, he could, he could command a room, but when it came time to work, he was as intense as anybody could be. Uh, and Ron Jaworski who does some work for us now, uh, love talking to Ron about not just, uh, his stories, but the way he views the situation now with the Eagles and with all sports. And I have tremendous respect for Ron. Um, and, I, you know, I just love so many athletes. My, my two boys, uh, Josh and Jesse, um, they are, and I mean this only in, in the most positive way possible, they are sports lunatics, and I think I've had something to do with that. Um, so we, we, we delight and, and um, suffer Together through football seasons and baseball seasons, and you know we've all shared our 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 joys and and uh, and commiserated together. So when I think of athletes, I really think of of specific sports experiences through them. Um, You know, if I had to describe the way uh, I react. To individual athletes and to individual teams, it really is almost through their eyes because um, because we've shared so much every step of the way. Um, you know, when when that 1993 Phillies team, you know, who knew that Lenny Dykstra was Lenny Dykstra? But you know, but but he you know he lit up he lit up a stadium. You know, he lit up a stadium. Um, Darren Dalton. You know, these guys were 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 characters in a drama more than members of a baseball team. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's been a great great journey. I hope it goes on for for many many more years. I love Philadelphia sports, as you know. Yep. Uh, Jay Wright is someone whom I re- respect and admire as much as. Anyone I've ever met in Philadelphia, he's, he is such a gentleman. He is such a good guy and, and he gets he it. Does, and he, he does gets college it. basketball the yep, right yep, way in yep. in a, in a, in a, in a profession where it is so hard to do it the right way. Yeah. And he's, and he's, he does it. You know, I've had tremendous respect for him. I've met him on, on a few occasions. Uh, obviously he's had the opportunity to make more money than he makes and, and to get more you know national uh, acclaim than, than he's had and he says why would i ever want to leave villanova sure i'd love to coach in the nba but to do that i'd have to leave villanova i don't want to do that
0: yeah. Um, yeah
1: it's so i you know I, I can't imagine respecting a sports figure more in philadelphia than than j right
0: jim gardner who has been the anchor of action news for most of our lifetimes <laughs> uh Jim, I can't begin to tell you how big an honor this was to have you on. Um, please, the door is always open. Maybe in happier times we'll get to talk more sports <laughs> than, than actually what is going on. But uh, uh, congratulations to the station on 50 years and uh, all the best to you, sir. Most importantly, stay safe. Stay safe. Kevin, Mike, thank you so much. This was great fun. Uh, Jim, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back on Work the Beat right after this. Sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way, this is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work of the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports craze town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Working the Beat podcast family. How cool was that, Mike? <laughs> that was uh, that always yeah, a. He's a very interesting guy. Yeah, our thanks to Jim Gardner for joining us. And, and look, you know, the issues we have with and we've talked about on this show, he brought up, especially at a place like Penn State, you know, and, and the importance on the economy and having to balance things out and do it for safety. It, it you know, I thought, it, you know, it's stuff that we've talked about, but it, it just is it, so dead on, especially even considering the news of the day when... Dr. Fauci's telling MLB, don't plan on playing in October. Well, not everybody thinks
2: Dr. Fauci, you know. Yeah. Look, it sounds different when it comes from Jim Gardner than when it comes from me or from you. <laughs> yeah. But it's it, look, the whole problem is we've been cooped up for three months. We want to reopen. We need to reopen for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. I, we, we understand that. What I've tried to take the, the attitude of is, we may not come out of this financial thing for a while because not only of the virus, but just of what's happened and and how long it's going to take to come back. And some businesses aren't going to come back. But this notion that sports are just going to magically reappear. And yeah, what's the problem? We're going to put them in a bubble in Orlando. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. I'm not the guy who's got to go into the bubble for 50 days or whatever it is. And, Now you're hearing concerns about with the basketball players about you know the movement that they don't want you know some of them don't want to lose sight of that. Um, There's going to be so many issues, Kevin. Now, golf has come back seemingly Mm -hmm. okay. NASCAR seems like it's come back.
0: The Belmont is this weekend,
2: but no spectators.
0: No spectators.
2: If you said to me, we're going to play NFL football and college football Mm -hmm. and maybe even college basketball, but there's going to be no fans or very few fans. I, I can I can believe that because you're taking a lot of the risk factor out of it. Mm-hmm. But none of those sports wants to do that.
0: No. And, um, and, that's, that's the and, problem. and that's a major problem.
2: Well, and you're seeing it with MLB now where the owners are saying, hey, wait a minute. We're not making all that money we thought we might be making with fans, so you got to give us a break on, you know, and the players are saying, no, you agreed to this. I, I just think there's a lot... It's great to say we're coming back. This is when we're going to try to come back. And then you put a 113-page thing out on paper, and we saw the same thing, I think, with baseball a couple of weeks ago when they put their thing out. I'm sure the NHL will be the same way. You have NFL coaches now telling you, John Harbaugh, I don't know how do we, we can humanly do this.
0: Yeah, That's the biggest problem. It's the, it's the idea of how does this all operate. And there was a report this morning out of Orlando about – airport workers getting ill with coronavirus and testing. And, you know, the, the bubble, the bubble talk in Orlando with, with the NBA is fascinating to me because it's very like, it sounds great. You're staying at Coronado Springs, you're staying at, you know, the yacht club and all that. But if you've ever been on vacation and after seven days, you decide, okay, it's time to go home. and, and you want to get home, or if you're on a business trip and you've been away for a while, these people are not going to have that option. And they're not even going to have the option to go in downtown to dinner or something. Kevin, have seven days
2: for you and me where we get tired of it. These are 26, 27, 28-year-old people with lots of money. Yeah. And they're used they, to doing what they want to do, when they want to do it,
0: exactly. how they
2: want to do it. And now you're... You're going to treat them like a like a 14 year old. At camp On a Friday night, you can't go out. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I I, I I I understand that we want to see basketball. Hockey's going to have the same problem. Right. Because if they put people in Vegas and Toronto or wherever they're going to put them, it's going to be the same kind of restrictions. Mm-hmm. What the NFL is going to do, I, I don't know because they're they're kind of telling you it's going to be life as normal. It ain't. What? Why can't people get used to the idea? that until somebody has a vaccine or, or more knowledge of this. Or, more, or at least better, better
0: therapeutics, yeah.
2: Better at everything, that it's not over. It's not nearly over. And it could take from, we're talking in June, it could take another year. And that might be in a best case scenario. Um, but at the same time, I understand the mentality of we can't keep doing it. Well, yeah, you might have to. You, you might not want to. Um, what was it somebody said on TV the other night? It was it was interesting. One of the health guys said, um, we may be fed up with the virus, but the virus isn't fed up with us. Yeah. You know, how do you reconcile the two? I mean, even Jim, Jim said that's going to be the most, you know, and we knew that was going to be going forward. How do you reconcile the economic and the health issues mm-hmm. with not just the United States, but the world? And there's an election in November. <laughs>
0: Which throws a whole different dimension in it.
2: I mean, do you think if this was, let's say, 2018, it would be a little less... um, Throw whatever word you want to throw in there. I I don't know.
0: Uh, If it was... Two years ago. Let me backtrack. Let me say if it was 2006 and it was... The climate was different, I think we would all be more willing to go along with it.
2: No, but I see but do you think if it wasn't an election year? Well no, I I know, but I'm saying it's an
0: election year and I think it's also the the participant in the election year. Oh okay, I got you. Um got you. and and I think that's where part okay. of this is. It's a little more of a fight the fight uh, you know what the government's telling you is not true and some of right. that is because of the person right. running the government.
2: Or or, right if, or if the president was leading the polls by 10 points it might not be this way either I, yeah. I don't you know I'm sure That all factors into it it just seems Strikingly to me Kevin that you're Getting two different messages oh it's a, it, You get a White House message and you Get a health message yeah and and They're
0: never the same and like who am I going to follow well and it's a Culture war and Jim mentioned about the Mask I mean the fact that people view The mask I saw Aubrey Huff of all People a uh, former giant first baseman uh, Who's a bit off the reservation uh, normally, anyway, um, but Aubrey Huff saying I'm not I'm not going to wear a mask. It's unconstitutional and all that. It's like, come on, dude. You know, like, but serious. when but
2: when your president comes out and basically tells you the same same thing. thing, yeah, I know. Why, if you're Aubrey Huff, would you? He's your president. Yeah. Why? That, that's what I'm. That's where when when Jim said to me, and I never realized this because I never put numbers to it. That the difference could be seventeen percent to three
0: percent. Yeah, that was the that's five Gupta. times
2: less risk,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is my math right? Uh, it's close, yeah.
2: Okay, why wouldn't you do it then? I, I mean, I don't understand. I don't. I don't want to wear a mask, but oh, I, but masks are pain in the ass. I, I get it, absolutely. Um, and and I guess what they're saying is in the winter time. More people aren't outdoors, which is why there's more of a risk in the winter, I suppose. Yeah,
0: and but also, and used. also, it ties in with other with flu and right. weather. What could happen? And you pe- know,
2: flu kills more people than Corona anyway.
0: Uh, not anymore. Not not this right. year, at least. Right. Yeah. Um, baseball. We've talked baseball on the show on Tuesday, um, which you know. It, 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 I, I've, I'm out of words to describe it right now. I really am. Um, I, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things that I wonder what the sport's going to look like, even if they go back. I wonder what the sport's going to look like in two years. I really do. I think that the, the damage has been done. Whether you don't come back this year or you do or you don't come back next year, the damage is done. But they'll reach a CBA at
2: some point. What you're basically saying is, will, the, will people buy in again?
0: Yeah. I mean, they're going to reach yeah. a CBA. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if we're not going to have some sort of work stoppage before 22. But, I, I mean, there'll be some sort of CBA. I wonder if the, the CBA comes only if you see one of the sides or both of the sides change, change the, the head. If it's Manfred on one side and Clark on the other, you may have this problem. Going forward no well, matter what, I
2: think if players lose a year's salary, you know, they stay, they don't want to lose a year's salary. I don't care how much money, you know, unless you got a hundred million in the bank or something, and you, you, but people don't want to give away money.
0: Kem Ros- um, Rosenthal reported, by the way, uh, last night that eight owners have said they are in favor of not playing a season at all, which means- I can
2: understand that. Yeah, but but then again, they're not. Maybe they're not looking at the long term.
0: And, and that number will grow with every passing day. Right. I really believe that. At a certain point in the next week or two here, that eight could be sixteen. Yeah. And if it's sixteen, then game over. To be point. honest with you, Kevin, at this point, I don't see what
2: bringing it back does. I, I really don't. Um, it, it makes. And maybe I'm being short sighted. Maybe. You know, maybe having 25 games in South Philly is a big deal. Uh, the vendors aren't going to be making any money. People aren't going to be in there. It's basically going to be a television event.
0: It gets the money for television. That's it.
2: Right. And it's, but especially if you have, if indeed the NBA and the NHL come back, which I think there's a greater chance of that happening yep. with the NFL on the horizon. Yeah. I just don't see the need for baseball. No. Under these circumstances, that's a promotional slogan.
0: I don't see the need for baseball.
2: (laughs) Well, no, I'm just saying. I know. Yeah, when we first, when this first started, and we were trying to figure out when people were coming back, and me and you would throw around, you know, Memorial Day, maybe, um, you know, we didn't know what, you know, what were we talking about? But if if you bought it back at Memorial Day, or or even like right now. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you play eighty games, you d- you play a hundred games, you do whatever, but not, you know, fifty or when, forty-five or.
0: Remember, or, remember when we had Robert Costa on from the Washington Post, and we talked about how much of a stake the Trump administration had politically in sports getting restarted, and right? the country getting restarted, but specifically sports as an indicator of the restart. I am surprised. We haven't heard that the administration has called Manfred or Clark and said, get, get a deal done at this point. I really I do not
2: I don't think he has the authority to
0: do that. I, I think you're giving... Well, but a bully pulpit I, is what I'm talking about. Uh,
2: but what's he going to say? What, 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 so, so he's going to go in and say, hey, players, you got... You, and players are going to say, screw you. Well, well what, why, are the player, why are a thousand players going to listen to the no, president?
0: But offering mediation, offering uh, just, hey... Even a public, even the public forum of Twitter that he has of saying, the country needs baseball right now, owners and players get a deal done, to even exert maybe well, more I, pressure. I,
2: I think you're, especially in an era where you can't meet face-to-face, where everything would have to be done over Zoom, Zoom yeah. or done without. No, I, I think, no, I, I think, the, the, I understand where you're coming from. I don't, like I said, it's reached the
0: point In a normal now, time, would it happen?
2: If we were talking about a hundred and twenty game season, if this has been done two months ago, if it could have been done, right, you know, two months ago, if the country wasn't still shut down, then maybe for a fifty game season. Yeah, he's not. I, yeah. I just don't see with hey. no fans because I think Trump's really into the fan thing. Yeah, you know, he wants the fans. That's why I think he's so into the NFL, which is going to be interesting if the NFL players are kneeling, because then. You know, which side does the president come down on? You know, oh, it's great to have football, but I can't, I deplore the 300 players every week that are kneeling. Yeah. I, it's, Kevin, it's the strangest time we've ever lived through, and it's not nearly over. And like I said, I hope all these things come off hitchless. I have, I have my serious doubt. Da- I mean, you know, in, a, in an unperfect world, I mean, you think about this what if the virus really does come back seriously? What if you have to talk at some point about not having a Super Bowl? I,
0: I, I love I love the term with, unperfect, but go ahead.
2: Well, not, well I guess because we all think it's going to keep getting better. Yeah. I do, you do, we all. But when you listen to some of these guys, they're saying, hey, if there's another outbreak in the winter and the flu's involved and all this, yeah. I don't know what the world's yeah. going to be like it's in January.
0: Yeah.
2: So we could be looking, I mean, at some point, does, does somebody sit there and say, we can't hold a Super Bowl? Yeah. Or we're going to have a Super Bowl with no fans, which then you know costs the city that's going to host it next year Tampa. how much money. Tampa. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have the answers to any of those things. No. And that's the part that really is the most frustrating to me, is I can't sit here and say, okay, on October the 8th, the Eagles are going to be playing the Giants and there's going to be 30,000 people in the stands. Or Penn State's going to be playing – you know, Ohio State, and they're going to allow 40,000 people in Beaver Stadium. You know, uh, every time we turn around, somebody else tests positive. Yeah. And I I would imagine it's going to keep getting – this was the time of year where I thought it would start to – Ease down. Ease down. But I think what's happened is because people have come back, you know, and and look, as the administration has said, there's more testing being done. So, yes, you probably are going to get – more positive tests that doesn't make those positive tests any less significant as they would have you believe. But yeah, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh,
0: finally, uh, and we always try to end on a little bit of a later note. Uh, and no, we're not going to talk about Buffalo restaurants like Mike did, but how about he knew chefs right away, by the way, it must be, it's gotta
2: be an institution.
0: It has it, to it, be. You
2: know, it's like saying, go to Ralph's. Exactly. You know? I, I yeah, it
0: was um, tremendous. Uh, father's Day is this weekend. Uh, both you know, it for some of us it's bittersweet, obviously, because my dad's not here. Um, you know, but it, it, fathers, if your dad enjoy it, I know it's going to be tough this weekend with maybe a little social distancing going on. But uh, here's hoping that uh, you enjoy it, uh, Mike. You have any fa- favorite Father's Day memories?
2: Well. The funny thing Kevin is for twenty five straight years I was away for father's Day yeah because the u s yeah, the u
0: s open would have been this week would have
2: been this week um now it's in mid September um I was I covered it for twenty five straight years except for one when my daughter graduated from high school so it was never a big 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 deal to me you know we'd they take me to dinner or something you know the next week or i i I was always more into mother's day i I thought Mother's Day was kind of more important. I don't know because it's your mother, you know, and yeah. the mother's kind of the rock of the house. And and um, but yeah, I mean, my dad's been dead sixteen years, but you know, I got a grandson now, yeah. and so and his, his, my son adores him. Like I see their relationship, and and we're gonna get together Sunday with and his his father in law. Um, yeah, you know, there'll only be like ten of us, I guess, eight or ten or whatever. And uh,
0: you make the best of it, and like. And And like you, I worked a ton of father's days because of baseball and it was always around the time, by the way, the Phillies would be like, if they weren't home, they were in Washington or New York or or somewhere on the road where we went. So I I always, my favorite father's day though, and father's day weekend was in 13 when the U S open was out at Marion and Phillies were on the road trip to Colorado. They got out of town because of the open and, um. My dad worked as a volunteer, uh, one of the many volunteers out at Marion, and I worked covering it as a columnist for the Courier, and uh, it was awesome. It was awesome that we basically went to work the same time. It was the only time we basically went to work at the same time. You know, we would go, uh, and I remember on Saturday of that weekend, standing and watching Mickelson hit a shot on 17 into that island green. Well, not an island green, but like into that. Moldy it's a 250,
2: 250 yard green away.
0: Part three, and hit it within maybe two and a half, three foot, and watching my old man's eyes light up because he loved Mick Mickelson. Yeah, and, he must
2: have been disappointed on Sunday then.
0: Oh, he was crushed when yeah, we I left when we left there at dark that night because he sat in the press tent. He actually came into the press tent and sat and waited for me because I never was right I was a little busy, Mike. So were you. It was I. I know. <laughs> He, he sat in the back area where they had, like, the lunch area set up and just waited for me, and uh, that was cool, and it was cool especially given the fact that my dad was diagnosed with cancer uh, that fall and then passed away the following June. Uh, I think of him, and I think of that weekend, and that's my favorite memory with my dad. But
2: but at least you still have your mom. So and you I still have my spend, mom, and it's awesome. Spend time, time with her, and,
0: and you yeah. know,
2: I don't have either of my parents, and, you know, I, it happens Um You know, uh, but, hey, like I said, the the Father's Day was never maybe as big to me only because of that, because I was always somewhere. But um, this is the way I looked at Father's Day. Maybe this is goofy. Father's Day is 365 days a year, and that's the way I kind of treated it. You know, do something good with your kids. Do something good with your dad. Um, You know, it it, it didn't have to be that one day a year that – whatever and if right. we did something we did something but um yeah it's and my just, wife yeah. and
0: i will throw steaks on the grill and katie will there you be go. here and we'll have a good time and uh put the baked potatoes on the grill by the way That's and
2: you cool. watch the R- rcb heritage instead of the uh u.s open
0: for the plaid jacket plaid jacket plaid it's, jacket
2: i played that course once yeah it's it's, it's yeah it's, it's i mean it's pretty. It, it's very pretty. It's a, the, the final Harbortown. hole is, is incredible because it's Into right on the sound. And the lighthouse in the background. And that was the place where Greg Norman won that year where the the, the, the young boy had cancer. Yeah. And he became friends. It was a great story. God, that's got to be 30 years ago, at least. Uh, late 80s. If I remember,
0: times. Norman won Harbor Town like three or four times.
2: I, I don't know if he did because a lot of players don't play in that tournament.
0: No, but he always the, did.
2: Yeah, some do. Um, but I remember that one year when he won for that kid. Um Yeah. You know.
0: Um our thanks to Jim Gardner for coming oh, on. <laughs> like, absolutely. And uh normally we end with big shot, but uh there's only one song that's appropriate today. So on that note, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. This has been Work of the Beat.